Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is the next lesson in our Beauty of Grace series. Lesson 3, The Core of Grace. In this series, we're talking about grace and the beauty of God's precious gift of grace. In the first lesson, we looked at the cause for grace, and we saw how mankind's sin activated death and the wages of sin, the indebtedness of sin, but it also activated the need for redemption and grace. And then in the last lesson, we talked about the cost of grace. And we saw clearly that grace is not cheap. Sin's ransom demands a very high price. And the cost was Jesus' blood, according to 1 Peter chapter 1. The cost that was paid for sin's ransom is the blood of Jesus Christ, the precious blood of Jesus. And on the cross, he declared, it is finished, or in other words, paid in full. Grace can be defined by some, some refer to it in an acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's free to us, but it cost God everything. It cost the Son of God his own life. So why? Why did God knowingly create man and allow this to happen. Why? Why did he create man in the first place? Because God knows the end from the beginning. He already knew what man was going to do, man and woman, Adam and Eve. Why did he create them and allow this? Why did Jesus willingly and obediently surrender his life in Gethsemane and say, not my will, but thine be done? Why did he willingly and obediently endure the shame and the cross? Why? Today I want to discuss the core of grace, or in other words, the reason. God, according to Psalm 90 verse 2, is everlasting to everlasting. He is God. He knows the end from the beginning, yet he made Adam and Eve anyway. He knew they, they would sin and activate this great cost and debt of sin. He knew that no one else, no one else would be able to pay sin's ransom except the sinless one himself. So let's find the answers as to why God did this in the Word of God. And there's a few that I want to look at. The scriptures are full of it from Genesis to Revelation. And many other places speak of this, but I'm going to concentrate on just a few that the Spirit of the Lord really honed in for me as I was studying this lesson. The first one is the most familiar. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved the cosmos. That's the Greek word there. It's, it's speaking of the world. It can mean the whole of the universe, but it can also, and I believe specifically here in this context, it is referring to the inhabitants of it, the people, the human race of persons. Jesus didn't die to save Jupiter. Jesus didn't die to save the whales, although the whales are beautiful and we love them. Jesus didn't die to save the parrots or the parakeets or the doves or the elephants or any other creature, although he loves them. He died for people. God loved people enough to give the gift of his own son. This word for love in the Greek is agapeo. Agape is the highest form of love there is. It is a self-sacrificing love. Much of what we consider today to be love is really a self-satisfying type of love, not a self-sacrificing kind of love. But a self-sacrificing kind of love, agape, will do whatever is needed for the object of that love. It speaks even of panting after, much panting after, the love, the object of the love. True and genuine love, value and esteem. It speaks of generously and genuinely being concerned for, delighting in, and being passionate about the object of that love. Notice also, according to this verse and others, love is a verb. Love is a verb. It is an action word. Because of his love, God then acted in accordance and in response to his love. God so loved the world that he gave. He acted. He gave. Love resulted in giving sacrificially. Agape requires sacrificial giving, sacrificial love, whatever is required for the object of your love, denying even your very self for the one you love. God loved the whole human race, Adam and Eve, and all sins, including me and you, and all others that are yet to be born or yet to come. One by one, collectively, but also individually. Love also motivates. Love motivates you or a person to care for what you love, to provide for what you love, to treasure what you love, to go the extra mile for what you love to use caution and watch over what you love. Think about it just in a few natural examples. What about your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your grandchildren, your sisters, your brothers, your mother, your father? Love will motivate you to care for them, provide for them, help them, watch over them. What about your pets? If you love your pets, you will care for them. You will love them. You will treasure them. 
you will watch over them. Friends, same thing. God loves to the nth degree, far exceeding our type of human love and understanding of love. And this is proven in the scriptures. John 3.16 that we just read is one proof. He gave his only begotten son to die for you and for me in our place or in our stead because we owed a debt we could not pay and he paid the debt that he did not owe our debt and he paid it in full when he paid the great cost of shedding his blood on the cross. I want us to next look at another proof text from the scriptures. In Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 5, it says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This word, when it says that God demonstrates his own love for us, it's talking about to put it on display, to introduce or exhibit it. It's as if you go to perhaps an art gallery or something like that, and they put on display the beautiful paintings or sculpture or crafts or whatever that they have. They want to exhibit it. It's so beautiful. It's so good. It means that it constitutes it. It makes it permanent, plain, and official. It's, it's talking about to show or to prove, to establish, to place it together, to place it in striking view. I love this one. It also can suggest like a picture to be permanently framed. Permanently Framed, placed in striking view, exhibited, shown, put on display, established forever with no remaining question at all. It's so evident and so plain and so displayed right in your view that you cannot ever even wonder about it anymore. What makes it so striking? He agapeoed us. In other words, he loved us while we were still sinners and apart from him. Even when we were going down the road of life in the opposite direction from him, when we were headed into sin and more sin and we could care less about the Lord, even when we did not care about him, Jesus came Jesus died, Jesus rose again for us. I believe when he was going up Golgotha and when he was hanging there, 
I believe that some way and somehow all of the faces of all of the people that he knew were going to be saved because of his sacrifice and this self-sacrificing love that he had. He did it. He did it. He saw us. He saw our faces somehow. He was able to look through time. Hebrews 12 tells us it was for the joy that was set before him. That joy is us. That joy is you, beloved friend, becoming a child of the Most High God. That joy is me becoming a child of the Most High God. When we didn't even care about him before we were ever born, yet he saw us. He knew us. He came, died, and rose again for us. He cared for us enough to give up his own life, paying the cost to satisfy the debt of my sin and yours. The core of grace rests in God's heartfelt and sincere love for us. Not just care, but self-sacrificing care and passion for us. And that core led him or motivated him to give the gift of his own son as an act of grace for us in almost unbelievable fashion. It's mind-blowing. The core rests in who God is. I want us next to look at 1 John chapter 4, and I want to read several verses beginning with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. God is love. The core of grace rests in who God is. God is the giver of grace. And the core of why, the reason, rests in who God is. Who, who he is in his very essence and nature. God is love. 
He authored it. It originates in him. He is the source of it. He is love. His nature is love. And when anyone is born again, they then can partake of that same nature. But it starts with him. Perfect love in Jesus Christ removes all of our fear and draws us closer to him. Consider this. When you love someone and you want to give them a gift, you will take care in your choice of that gift. You know or learn their desire, their longing, and you see their need. You care enough to provide it when you can. You love and value and esteem them enough to carefully choose the perfect gift and to pay whatever the cost is for that gift because of your great love for them. This is exactly what God has done for each of us. And I want to close us out by just finishing up with this primary scripture. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. John says here, so amazing is his love that he says, behold, in other words, this is so amazing. You've got to see this. You've got to look, listen, look at this. It's so amazing. Of what possible sort is this love? This love is so amazing. It's mind blowing. This is what John is saying. Behold, what manner of love. How in the world could God love us this much? This is so amazing. It is mind-blowing that the Father has given us this kind of love and that we should even be allowed to be called the children of God now. This is all through God's great gift of grace. It's free to us, but it cost him everything, and he paid it freely because of his great love for you and for me. The cause of grace is our debt of sin. The cost of grace is the ransom that had to pay our debt in full, paid by Jesus on the cross. And the core of grace tells us why. It was because of his great, unfailing, and amazing love for us, even when we were still sinners. But how do we know about this? In the next lesson, we will explore this as we look at the communication of grace. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today, and Lord willing, you can join us again for more of our Beauty of Grace series. God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.